you sort of say, well, I can't show you because then you might steal the idea. Your business is not robust enough for the investment. And so the sooner you can start talking about what you're doing, that's probably the better. And you'll find, you know, mentors along the way. Welcome to Startup West, the podcast about Western Australian startup founders who have been there and done it or are right here and doing it. My name is Danelle Cross. And my name is Chris Tan. And before we start, we'd like to acknowledge that we are recording this podcast in the land of the Wajak people of the Noongar Nation and pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. I'd like to thank our sponsors. The Startup West podcast is produced by Startup News and sponsored by the City of Perth, RSM, Space Cubed, TechOn and Curtin University. In this episode, we speak with Rob Kelly, Managing Director of AgTech Marketplace, Agora Livestock. Welcome to Startup West, Rob. Can you tell us about your startup, what it does, how it's going? Yeah, so it's the startup's called Agora Livestock. It used to be called Livestock Pricing, but it's, a, it's changed its name fairly recently. Uh, and it's a price discovery marketplace for sheep, cattle and goats, so predominantly aimed at you know, commercial farmers, less than hobby farmers. And, you know, the objective or the aim is really just to kind of cut the fat out of that supply chain and make buyers and sellers finding each other a much simpler and more efficient process. And so how did it first come about? It actually happened, it was a kind of a series of events, but initially me looking at getting back into farming and mm-hmm. going to the bank um, to borrow money and they gave us a budget which was all grain related um, and we wanted to look at livestock for, for the property that we were looking at and they just said we don't have the price data to lend properly against that. So I started looking for the pricing information, saw that that was really complicated or hard to get a hold of and so then thought, well, there's an opportunity to build, you know, a platform that one gives farmers and agents and buyers better market information, but that can then also streamline the communication between them um, and have had, had a bit of experience in the past, similar platforming grain. So kind of knew a bit about it, um, but yeah, started pulling on this little bit of string and it's kind of evolved and snowballed and yeah, here we are. So so the bank gave you the inspiration and I'm joking here, Rob. <laughs> the, the banks, yeah. Like, how do I go? Look, it was probably, it was an eye-opening experience to sit down with a bank, a big bank, um, a very well-known bank, one of the big, big four, um, and find <laughs> out that the information they were using to value livestock is historical yeah. um, and and not really at the level that should help a producer further mm. invest in that business. And that's mm. such a big problem that we have is if you're, if you're a livestock producer today and you don't know what your livestock are worth or who you can sell them to, why are you going to invest more in that business versus your grain business where you can pretty quickly look up and see mm. here's where the market is, here's where the buyers are. Um, I can make a decision really quickly on the economics of that and decide, yep, okay, it's worth putting a crop in or it's not worth it. Whereas they look at livestock and they go, well, I know what the costs are. I know it's hard getting labour and I don't even know what they're worth. Why would I invest Mm. in that? Um, So from that little or big problem, how has the, how has Agora sort of changed and pivoted over over time? Yeah. So um, we initially looked at it and, um, and again, the grain platform that we, that I'd been involved in building at a previous company was called Daily Grain and that then got right. bought by CBH. But it was, that business model was a subscription service. So mm-hmm. farmers would pay a subscription to get a list of prices, you know, who's paying what each day. And we thought that would be what Agora was going to do. Yep. And then mm. what we realised was after speaking to the buyers um, and the agents is that, you know, behind all of those businesses is this huge expense in admin of managing um, the supply chain that a platform yep. really can solve a, a lot of those problems or streamline a lot of those problems. And so we realised that, 
you know, the subscription model actually wasn't going to work for a farmer and that actually giving them better market information would help them make better decisions. So you have to figure out how you, you monetize the platform that way and we're really only just getting into that mm-hmm. now. It's been five years in the making and, and hopefully it starts to generate some revenue pretty soon. So five years you've been running yep. Agora. And so where are you at with that business model now, I guess? Yeah, so we this week, um, Tuesday, we launched our kind of oh. online marketplace um, and that's probably our first major mm-hmm. kind of movement into rev- revenue generation. Yep. Um, and so still, and so I would say we're pretty much pre-revenue. We've got buyers that pay a subscription to use the service mm-hmm. and send their prices out. Yep. Um, but the marketplace side of it has only just started. So it's been a, a slow process. It's certainly been the marketplace has been the thing that a lot of people have asked for. Mm. Um, but you've got to solve a lot of other problems before you can just dump a marketplace on people because, you know, if no one's looking at it, it's yeah. not worth anything. Yeah. No, yeah. fair enough. Yeah. Um, Rob, what have been, or can you tell us about some of the challenges and and successes actually of um, what Agora Livestock have done to date? Yeah, challenges, um, look, doing everything as efficiently as possible, so not cheaply, but, um, you know, mm. if I went back five years and looked at where I am now, mm. um, it would be a much straighter line and you'd spend a lot <laughs> less getting here. Um <laughs> So managing money has been definitely the hardest part and there's a lot of stress around that. And, you know, it comes back to even, you know, away from the business, you run a startup from a bank's perspective, you're self-employed. Uh, if your business isn't generating revenue straight away, well, then they don't like lending to you. So it has a big impact on your life outside of, mm-hmm. of work, even if you're paying yourself a salary out of the, you know, out of the funds that you've raised. Mm. That's been one of the challenges is just trying to manage that because that puts a lot of pressure on everyone around you as well, not just your work. Um, but on the success side, yeah, there's, you know, one of the things we do is when people download the app, about a week after they download it, we send a message out just saying, look, you know, are you ha- how are you finding? Have you got any questions? If you need any help, let us know. Right, yep. um, and the responses to that are the little wins on the way. Like people mm. saying, yeah, this is amazing. It's kind of even if the response is, you know, it's just making, saving me half an hour a week. Well, you mm. know, there's 50,000 farmers across Australia. If you can save them all half an hour a week, Absolutely. the That's value great. gain is huge. But, you know, how do we monetize that half an hour mm. a week? Um, that's the that's the bit we've that's got. That's the next challenge. Yep. Mm. So how have you funded the business so far? All, all through investors. Mm-hmm. So um, had some seed investors early on, um, including myself, uh, and then have raised capital a couple of times since then. So we raised a little bit pre-COVID and a little bit post-COVID. Mm-hmm. Um in fact, you know, it's been a couple of million dollars in total. Mm. So that's been the bulk of it. Along the way, we've, you know, we've got revenue through things like advertising, book, like through contracts or sales fees and through subscriptions, which we're generating revenue through now. Right. Um, but, yeah, certainly the burn rate's been higher than than the money that we've been generating. And mm. that's, mm. you know, that's the bit. We've got to solve that. We've got to get that working. We think we know what it'll be, but we'll, um, yeah, in six months' time, we'll have a much better feel for that as well. Mm. And in terms of raising funds, how have you found that process? Uh, yeah, it's been interesting in the process that when we initially started looking at where we're going to raise funds, mm. it was going out and visiting, you know, the end users, so the buyers, the sellers and the agents and kind of explaining to them the business and, and getting feedback from them on whether they thought it was a good idea. It was kind of an open end to, the, to that kind of discussion of, well, if we're going to do this, we're going to need to raise some money. Would mm. you be interested in knowing more? It was mm. never a hard sell. Right. And that's how we've found most of our investors. And so by and large, our investors are either farmers, mm-hmm. um, livestock buyers, uh, and actually agents or an agent as well, which we just never would have thought they would fall into the space after mm. our initial kind of work. But that 
we've got some so good people support. experiencing the problem. Yeah. Absolutely, and then it. there's some you know angels in the space. Typically, the mm. ones who um, yeah. who understand. Hey, I'm not a very good salesperson. I've come to <laughs> come to learn. So I think the investors we've got uh, are very invested in the industry as opposed to. Um, you know, bright lights or, you know, pipe dreams. And you guys as the team, I would imagine. I hope so. Yeah, mm. look, we certainly know a lot of them. Again, that's, you know, mm. that's more pressure on, on people as well. Like I do wonder, sometimes you see businesses raising huge amounts of money and, um, and you, you know, that puts a lot of pressure on the founders mm. and we're, mm. you know, I'm on my own as a founder mm. yeah. um, and try and let the rest of the team just do their job. But it does, that pressure does build up over time. Yeah, of mm. course. So, um, while you've been raising money, what sort of tips have you learned? Something that you can share with the listeners? Um, it's certainly, I, I wouldn't, the more people you see, obviously the, the higher your chances, but mm. it's not a, not just a numbers game. I yeah. think especially early on, people who understand the industry or are close to people who understand, I wouldn't go to anyone who doesn't have a connection to ag yeah. mm. or someone that they can bounce ideas off. Yeah. Um, you know, we have a VOCAG, which is a big ag tech conference coming to Perth next year, which is really exciting. Mm. But, you know, we've never raised any money off a of VC and most of our money has come from local investors and none of them would consider themselves angels, I don't think, or um, they've just invested in something because they see it as a problem. And mm. so there's this huge amount of um, potential for, mm. for local people, local companies that don't consider themselves investors to invest in these sort of businesses. Mm. Um and that, that's exciting. That's, that's what I think Evocag should be focusing on is, yep, sure, get your VCs over here because they're exciting and we've got some local VCs now, which is great too, mm-hmm. but startups getting to our stage don't get funded by VCs mm-hmm. in ag tech. They get funded by industry mm-hmm. and so that's where you focus. Yeah, it's really about building that sort of robust investment ecosystem at all levels, isn't it? You yeah, know, and they, yeah, and they invest in the in a, in a solution or, you know, finding a solution to a problem that they have um, and they understand the longevity mm. of that mm. problem. Whereas, you know, I don't think, and, and maybe the reason we're not attractive to some VCs is we don't sit down and tell them that we're going to be a unicorn. Um, we like to be, but we're not never going to sell them that. And yeah. they sort of, a lot of them, they'll come back and go, we don't understand, you know, this needs to be worth 10x. Okay, well, we've got a spreadsheet and I can change a number and it'll say it's going to be worth <laughs> 10x. But but yeah. that's not realistic in where mm. your business is. Um it's a really valuable industry. If you get it right, it'd be hugely profitable, but we're not going to sit here and, and lie to them about mm. just changing numbers in a spreadsheet. Yeah. So, Rob, you spoke that you're a solo founder. So have you got – what support have you got? Have you got a board, advisors, mm. mentors around yep. you? So um, board of three, um, mm-hmm. two of our kind of major investors um, and and kind of good experience industry and great networks. So yep. they've been really valuable um, in raising funds as well. And then their, their network has been what's helped us raise more as well. So awesome. um, board's been great. Um, it's got put more governance around what we do as well. Mm. Um, advisors, yeah, so obviously with our shareholders, you know, all the producers that are in there mm. essentially become advisors. So we bounce, I speak to them regularly um, and the buyers on the other side actually speak to them obviously as, as much to try and make sure that what we're doing is really connecting them and the agents, the same thing, you know, I'd spend half my week on the phone to yep. shareholders mm. but they're essentially advisors to our business right. and then, yeah, outside of that, obviously you have a network of friends and, and family around yep. you and, mm. and I'm getting better at um, speaking to them about the challenges and making sure they, or, you know, leaning on them when I need to good. as well. No, good. good. Good to use the support network that you have with your mentors, advisors and, um, you know, customers, clients, anyone yeah. who understands really what what you're facing. So it's good yeah. for that for yep. sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Rob, um, with 
for you and Agora Livestock, um, I guess in the next three to five years or even next year, what what are you guys looking to achieve next or within that time frame? Look, growth is our kind of our space now. We need yeah. to um, we've built some stuff over the last twelve months in particular that's really I think is key to our business model. So mm-hmm. we really now need to show traction in that and, and traction is not always revenue but for us revenue is pretty important as well mm-hmm. at the moment um, yep. just to justify the business model and the, and the direction we're going. So look it's all about now kind of an education process because it's a big change for a lot of the producers and buyers mm-hmm. to understand that the you know ag tech or our platform is not there to get rid of any of them but actually to make them more efficient and mm-hmm. you know we know that labor is a huge problem. We know that communication is a big problem so if you can just save everyone like I said half an hour um, then that's the that's the opportunity uh, but it's an education process so we you know growth for us is not just about getting salespeople it's mm. about making sure you show people the value of the, of the business yeah and so five years in can you tell us a bit about your team um, and what that looks like now and what you project that to look like over the next three yep. to five so initially um, obviously started out as just me we then um, have had along the way a couple of people come in and out and it's been kind of circumstantial based on where they've been and some of them are investors in the business who have, you know, finished up at one job and have sort of said I need a break from corporate and I want to do something different and so they've been able to help with me before they move on to other things. But our team went from being um, myself um, and and some support kind of around that to generally having two full-time people in the business Um and then when we really invested heavily in developing the platform, we used um, two local companies and they actually became, they've since become shareholders in the, of our business and their software developers. So it's this whole venture studio idea rather than mm. getting charged full rate. They understood the problem. Great. They knew there was a solution so they could kind of do it at almost essentially cost for, mm-hmm. cost for us mm-hmm. and their what would normally be their margin would convert to equity and that's allowed them to, well, that's allowed us to use them as our CTOs and, and marketing experts. Um, but more recently we've now kind of, and the process for those guys has always been always to help us build out our own team mm. over time as well. And so now we have, um, you know, a f- couple of full-time developers front end and back end. Um, we have some outsource, we use tech on, um, oh, cool. to, right. to crank things up a little bit yeah. when we need to. We've got junior, um, back end developer as well. We're just trying to build a bit more contingency into our business. Um, and then a part-time grad sort of helping on the, on the business admin side of it as well. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so team at the moment's kind of six FTEs. Yep. Um, some outsource, some, some in, well, mostly in-house though mm-hmm. for us. Cool. Terrific. That's awesome. That's good to hear. Um, Rob, how would you describe um, our local startup scene here in WA? Yeah, I think it's it's strong. It's just I find like I can really speak mostly from an ag tech yeah, mm-hmm. perspective. It's so um, dispersed, which is a real shame because – you know, when we do catch up with the teams of other ag tech companies, we get along very well. We could probably help each other a lot more than what we do. I think like any um, startup scene, you're in the same industry. You're a bit worried about what people are going to find out from you when you're trying to get ahead. But um, but I think there's a huge opportunity if we get us all in the same space that, you know, using the networks where we're not competing um, mm. would just add a lot of value. And it just puts, you know, puts people around you as well because there's a lot of one or two person operations that sit at home alone or, you know, don't have someone to catch up with for a coffee or a beer on a Friday, whatever that is. Yeah. Um, and, you know, to stick around as a startup, you need to have, you need to enjoy it. Yeah. You need to have a reason to go to the office each day. Um, 
so I think yeah, I think the scene is it's got the it's got the the dirt for a really good um, crop of ag tech companies, but mm. probably just hasn't ha- hasn't really come into seed yet. Yeah, sure. So it just sounds like there needs to be a better communication through an, a network of other ag tech startups, just so that you guys can all just sort of come together and not sort of step in each other's toes, but really sort of help support the other things that are happening, right? Yeah, I think it'd, it'd be a lot more attractive industry for people if they realised that they weren't just stuck on their own mm, yeah. doing Absolutely. something. So if you can get them all like physically, physically together, mm, together mm. Um, and you know, there are ag tech um, meetups that Beanstalk organised yeah, yeah, sort yeah. of other things going on, but, you know, it's once a quarter and mm. like there was one last night which I couldn't make it to and so I missed that. Um, and don't get to catch up with them again. Went to a um, the Oz Agritech Investor mm-hmm. Showcase Sydney last week, so I mm. caught up with a couple of WA startups over there that I haven't seen for three months just because we purely were in the same location at the same time and those are really valuable conversations mm. that we have that you don't get here because I come into the city, I go to, the, to my office and I don't see the other people. So yeah, that's, the, um, that's where I think there's a you know, big opportunity as well. Yeah, well, uh, shout out to those uh, in that network who want to come together, speak out to Rob, catch up with him, I think. Yeah, that'd be great. And a shout out to the Startup West podcast sponsors. The Startup West podcast is produced by Startup News and is made possible by the support from Space Cubed, Curtin University, RSM, the City of Perth and Techon. So, Rob, can we take you back through your career from your school days? Were you born in Perth or WA? WA, coaching up originally. So, um, basically on the Albany Highway, halfway between here and Albany. Awesome. And did you go to school coaching up, senior high? Yeah. Uh, yeah so, coaching up from uh, up until, well, senior school and then went mm-hmm. to boarding school in Perth. So, um, yeah, pretty much been off the farm or haven't been full-time on the farm down there since then, but oh, yeah. still get back there as frequently as, as we can. Family still down there? Yeah, older yep. brother uh, on the farm, uh, yep. mum and dad still on the farm. Typical old farmer having trouble letting <laughs> letting go, I think. I should say uh, that. He'll probably hear <laughs> this, but love to let go, but also, um, you know, it's a big change and it's it's what he's been doing for so long. Yeah, yeah okay. awesome. Um, Rob, what were some of your favourite subjects at school? Uh, did you show any sort of entrepreneurial, like, uh, skills back then? Uh, I don't think I did at school, <laughs> but I my, my subjects were the – the ones I enjoyed or the ones I disliked the least, um, <laughs> you know, the science and math, English, not my thing. Um, you know, it just could never understand the results in an English assignment, whereas maths and science was kind of like, no, just, sense. there's a right answer and a wrong answer. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, definitely floated down that that side of things, um, probably not till I left school. Um when did I first show help? signs? Yeah, I don't. I don't know where it was along the way. It certainly wasn't too too much of uni. You finished uni. Um, what did you study at uni? I did ag science mm-hmm. um, out of pure laziness, actually. Um, so I'd always thought when I finished school, I'd just head back to the farm mm-hmm. and, um, and was speaking to my dad, and he said, "What are you doing next year?" And I said, "I'll come back on the farm." He said, "No, go on. No, you're not. Go and do something else for a couple of years in case the farm doesn't work. Just get yeah. something else yeah. behind you." Yeah, oh, um, an older brother who wasn't back on the farm, so I just I assumed that you know that was where I'd end up. And so got into ag science at UWA, which is the lowest cutoff mark or it used to be at the time. <laughs> so it was, um, got into that yep. and did all animals all and economics mm-hmm. and then one risk management unit um, and risk management. So price risk management, derivatives, you know, foreign exchange yeah. futures, always grain focused because there's no price information mm. on livestock. Mm. And then went from there into a grain trading um, or commodity analyst role um, and was there for about 10 years. But, um, at a company called Plum Grove, and that that was probably the 
I didn't realise at the time, but that's when I was really learning about supply chains. Mm. Um, yeah, and on okay. the entrepreneurship side, look, maybe um, used to have an apartment, small apartment um, that was when I moved in with my now wife, um, was a bit small for both of us. So mm-hmm. put that on Airbnb and that was probably <laughs> the first kind of outside of work yeah. um, nice. where yeah. you start to realise actually there's there's some things you can do around the side that make things work. So, so your first job was at? What was it? Plum Plum Grove. Plum Grove. Yeah. So and and that was pre wheat deregulation. So the wheat mm. market used to have one seller out of Australia. Australian wheat were the only company that export grain out of Australia. Yeah. So the role that I had there was that Plum Grove was an, a consultant to farmers. The wheat board, when they got your grain, would sell it over an eighteen month or twelve to eighteen month yep. period, and you'd get an average price. So if you're a farmer and you wanted to have a different sales approach to them, you would use foreign exchange and, mm-hmm. and yeah, futures okay. to kind mm-hmm. of re- sure. increase or reduce your exposure to the market. Um, and so that was my job with them was just to make sure that, you know, the farmers were advising, knew what their position was and, and could stay in the market that way. The wheat market deregulated whilst I was there and so it went from having one buyer to having all your big global grain traders in the market almost overnight and the clients were advising were saying, well, now we need to know where the cash market is because not everything we do just goes straight into this wheat pool. Mm. So it was me with a spreadsheet sorting numbers top to bottom and sending it out and our clients were saying, well, this is great, you should mm. – other farmers will want this and we can do it as a subscription. So we did that um, and it went really well. I remember the PayPal account on our subscription <laughs> getting locked on day one because there was all these subscriptions coming in. So um, And then that was called Daily Grain or is still called Daily Grain. Mm. We sold that to CBH and mm-hmm. CBH are the storage and handling network so they could then hook it into LoadNet and um, farmers could see a price and transact or offer grain on that price. So that was the theory of that business model and mm. then – after that, what happened was Plum Grove then became an exporter and we started using daily grain mm. to accumulate grain. Mm. So we built it, sold it, and then we're using it. Interesting, yeah. And the and what happened along the way was that we all of a sudden realised that it was really efficient for us to accumulate grain. So if you're a traditional grain trader, you'd have people placed around the country, so you'd be paying salaries for people out in towns to accumulate grain for you. Mm-hmm. And we were using a software platform that was a fraction of the cost. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So our business cost was a lot lower and my, you know, I was there for 10 years and my time there, you know, I was never a great trader. We had a really good trader there. Um, my job was supply chains, like how quickly can mm. we accumulate grain, mm. get contracts signed and so systems, supply chain systems basically is where I was most useful, mm. spreadsheets basically. <laughs> Fair enough. And so like you went through that and, uh, you know, that was your journey up to I guess you moved into Agora. I, so I, I – Spent a couple of years in a bank oh, yeah. overseas as well and similar, oh. similar thing, same supply chain stuff at yeah. a bank. And so what did you learn in Plum Grove that you're now or not applying in Agora? I just learned that there's this, you know, in, in any trade, in any business, there's this human cost of, of admin and the least that you have to do or the more you can automate, the more time you can focus on mm. anything else. And that mm. doesn't mean, you know, if I can save a farmer – or an agent or a buyer half an hour, I don't they don't have to go and spend another half an hour doing their job. They spend half an hour more at home with their mm. kids. It'd be mm. great if they've got family or whatever it is. But the cost of that is still just their salary times the time you save them. And it's huge and it's expensive. And so you know, if you're a livestock buyer and you buy a lot of livestock and you've got to have three admin people behind the scenes doing your contract admin and your paperwork and you can reduce that to two, two. people mm-hmm. and one of those people can actually become another buyer for you or whatever they do. Mm you've probably saved that business $80,000 a year and, yeah. you know, and and the challenge of finding labour as well. So 
that's what we learned is that we could run a really efficient business with less resources than than probably what was the traditional approach to buying or accumulating a commodity. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, so with Agora Livestock, um, why take the plunge into doing your own startup business? Like was it just something that you needed to go and do because you had that idea from your chat with the bank and it was just like, yep, yeah, that, that needs yeah, to be well, it done. Was, it was never meant to be um, when I initially started looking at it like the full-time role. It was I can do this whilst we still keep trying to find a bit of land. Um, I was doing some consulting back to the bank that I worked for at the time. So, But over time it just I – mean, we were lucky along the way. There was a couple of things that happened. There was an ACCC inquiry into livestock market. So mm. what was meant to be a WA sheep platform became a national sheep and cattle mm. and goat platform. Mm. And most of our users, you know, we've got 8,000 users on the platform – 75% of them are on the East Coast. Mm. Um, so it kind of spiralled and, and when that happened and as we started speaking to more buyers and sellers and agents about what we were doing, we realised it was a, a huge opportunity. So mm. it wasn't when we initially started designed to be this full-time role but it just the opportunity is too good to not have a go at it. Yeah, of course. Timing. Timing yeah. is everything, right? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so what do you know now that you wish you'd known at the start of Agora? Oh, I know that, yeah, oh, like all the things in our a platform that didn't work along the way <laughs> that I wouldn't have had to spend money on. Um, that's probably a part of it. Um, look, early on we got off to probably a bad start with livestock agents in particular. That mm-hmm. was, um, you know, the initial conversation was, okay, we're going to build a platform that shares prices and the agents who typically, you know, manage the transaction from buyer to seller were sort of saying, no, we don't think that's a great idea. It doesn't help our business model and probably asked five or six agents that I know and got the same response and thought, well, okay, we're just going to be head-to-head with agents all mm. the way. Like they're just never going to enjoy it or they're never going to support the platform. It wasn't until recently and, and speaking to, you know, some shareholder agents, understanding that actually their business challenges are exactly mm. the same. It's this admin role of their business is too expensive for them um, and needs to be more efficient and that we can really help solve some of their problems. Mm, um, I love that. And so, look, I think along the way that's probably been one of the one of the lessons learned is that I think it's, I can't remember what the quote is, but, you know, asking why five times, mm. typically by the fifth time you get to the real answer. Mm. And, and what we've found now is that we probably spend a lot of time butting heads with people who actually are, are probably can be big supporters of our business. Exactly, mm. yeah, customers, collaborators, investors. Yeah. 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 That's fair. To the other founders out there or – um, ag tech founders from startups, um, what advice can you give? Uh, well, look, stick, obviously s- stick at it, probably speak to people around you a bit more. Um, it's really hard when you're a startup. You think if you tell people what you're doing, they might steal your idea and run away with it. Um, and probably for the first little while you do need to incubate and think more about your business model mm. and, and pick out what other people are doing to see where you're different. But if you, you know, I learned this when we started going to get speaking to investors, you have to show them enough to show them why your business model is going to work. And if you if you go to them and they say, okay, show us the business model, show us how it's going to work, and you sort of say, well, I can't show you because then you might steal the idea, <laughs> your business is not robust enough mm. for the investment. And so the sooner you can start talking about what you're doing, um, that's probably the better. And you'll find, you know, mentors along the way. That's probably the other thing is – Finding the people who you can mm. bounce ideas off in confidence yeah. and know they're going to support you. Mm. No, awesome. Very good. Should we move to the quick fire round? Yeah, let's Are do it. Are you ready, Rob? Yes, I am. Okay. All right. Uh, first thing that comes to mind, what's the single most important factor 
that makes a successful startup? Well, I'd say product market fit, um, but I don't think you need to get that immediately. It's just you've got to get there over time. If you were to wave your magic wand over the local startup scene, what would you wish into being? It would be an ag tech kind of hub or central location for, for businesses like mine. Okay. Awesome. Okay. Um, who do you most admire in the local tech scene? It could be a company or a person. Or oh, look, it's, prob- it's, it's a group, I think. It's, mm-hmm. And it is the other, the other founders, like mm-hmm. I think, and the ones yeah. who are not just the ones who are, you know, a long way in front, but the ones who are only a little bit in front of us. It's just... You know how hard it is to get here, so mm-hmm. you know how hard they've pushed to get a little bit further. Yeah. Yeah. How can anyone listening help you? Look, I mean, we're we are always looking for um, people to kind of be involved in our business, so we are looking mm-hmm. at raising some more capital next year. But probably the thing we're kind of keen to figure out now is that growth space, so other people are interested in, in that would be excellent mm-hmm. to talk to. Um, anyone who's involved in ag or livestock who wants to understand about our business and be involved, with it you know, would be great to speak to them. Yeah, fair. Um, and Rob, listen, what do you do to get away from it all? What do you do to rest and relax? Oh, I don't know if I get much rest or relax. Um, three kids, <laughs> one of them's only about a month old. So, um, oh, wow. we get, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's <laughs> exciting. Um, but it gets me away from work. I probably yeah. like a lot mm-hmm. of, um, um, I don't know if it's all founders or solo founders, but have trouble getting yeah. away from it. Um, yep. it's, a bit, it's a bit addictive. I get home and I'm constantly thinking about ways we can improve things. Um, so when the kids distract me and I can, I do manage to let go, um, that's the bit that's good fun Yeah, as well. No, awesome. That's really cool. Listen, Rob, um, thank you for uh, coming in to speak with us and we would like to wish you and your team at Agora Livestock all the best in the future. Thanks very much. Thanks, Rob. Thank Thanks. you. Thanks to our sponsors. The Startup West podcast is produced by Startup News and is made possible by the support from Space Cubed, Curtin University, the City of Perth, RSM and TechOn. And a shout out, the Curtin Ignition Scholarships are now open. We recorded this podcast at Riff Podcast Studios in beautiful downtown Perth, Western Australia. Don't forget to subscribe to Startup West on your favourite podcast platform. So our latest episodes appear in your feed. And if you like what you hear, please leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. Hold up. 